2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 11 through 13. Um, maybe some of you thought Dan did that because he didn't prepare anything for this week. Oh, trust me, I prepared. Um, but 11 through 13 is where we're going to be, and uh, we'll read it, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in together. It says, seeing then that all these things uh, shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all, man- in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we can be in your house this evening. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray tonight that our hearts would be encouraged and challenged. I pray that as Peter was writing to these believers to remind them of what they had learned so many years ago, God, I pray that we would also remember and that our, in our remembering, we would gain a confidence, God, that you do keep your promises. Regardless of what the scoffers say, uh, regardless of what the false teachers teach, you are the one true God, and our faith is in your son, Jesus, whom you gave uh, so that we could be rescued and ransomed and redeemed. And God, I pray that we would live with this uh, reality in our minds that he is coming again, and uh, we can look forward to that day with hope. And God, I pray that we would share that hope with those around us. We thank you again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> as I want to start off tonight just by saying that as you read through Peter's letter, we understand that he's speaking of, in eschatological terms, meaning he's speaking of the end times, uh, but he's not giving a strict timeline. And he does it uh, very generally as he speaks of things to come. If we want a, a more specific timeline, we could look to other books. There's a whole book in the Bible about it, Revelation, that we could study. But Peter's just being very general in the way that he writes because he's, he's not dealing with end times things. He's dealing with people in a present day who were struggling. They didn't know what they should believe. They didn't know if what they had believed was the truth. And Peter wanted them to live with this truth in their hearts and their mind that there was a day coming when Jesus Christ would return. They could place their hope in that. They could have confidence in that. And the world, as, as they knew it, as we know, it's going to be destroyed. People will give an account before God, but live with this, this truth in your mind that Jesus is returning and that a judgment day is coming. And so if you were to read through all of Peter's letter, you'll understand that he doesn't just spend time speaking of the end times, but he, he speaks to the things that they were facing in their lives, uh, the, the specific things that they were facing with the false teachers and with the scoffers, with their own doubts and the things that they were reasoning within their own hearts and minds. And what does Peter do through the whole letter of Second Peter? He reminds them to remember what you've been taught. And as I was thinking, even as we were singing uh, the first song tonight, isn't that what much of the Christian life is? Just remembering the things you were once taught? Remembering the truths that you learned as a child, remember the thing, remembering the things that you heard preached years ago that we often displace out of our minds or, or forget because of so many other things in our mind. And as, as these believers were struggling, as they were questioning, Peter says, just go back and remember the things that I've taught you. Remember the things that were told to you by the other apostles. Remember the things that Jesus himself taught. And in the, if you do that, then you'll have confidence. Some could hear that line of reasoning and say, well, Peter is just being manipulative. He's not allowing the Spirit to, to teach the people, or he's not wanting them to glean from anybody else. Peter's not being manipulative. He's being a good, caring shepherd teacher to the people that God had called him to minister to. And again, that's, that's much of what being a pastor is, is simply reminding people. 
I can't tell you how many, how many times I've sat in a meeting in the office with none of you ever, none of you, other people who don't come Sunday nights, right? And what does most of our conversation have to do with? What does the Bible have to say? And you know, nine times out of ten, people know what the Bible has to say. It's just that they've forgotten it. And that's not me talking bad about other people, because you know, most of the things that happen in my life, it's the same story, that I just need to be reminded of the things that I've already learned in my life, things that I have, have, have counted as not being worthy of remembering. Peter says those are the things we need to remember. And so these believers were being fed lies, and Peter knew that the best way to combat the lies that they were being fed was to feed them a steady dose of the truth. Just remember the things that you have been given. And so as, as it was true then, it's still uh, true today. Peter desired that they would make their calling and election sure, and they would do that by remembering the truths that God gave them. He desired that they would have confidence in the truth that was delivered to them, that, that they would believe that Jesus, as he spoke these words, was truly the Son of God. His desire was that they would not be so eager for a new experience or new wisdom, that they would just casually walk away from everything they once heard taught. And so he encourages them and he prompts them and he reminds them and he charges them to remember the things that I've told you. If we were to go back to the first verse uh, in chapter three, that's exactly what Peter says. Stir up in your remembrance, stir up in your minds the things that you know to be true. As, as we see uh, Peter doing some corrective teaching and preaching here, um, I was thinking this week that, that oftentimes in modern church culture, the idea of corrective teaching and preaching is looked down upon. Why is it looked down upon? It's judgy, that's right. How dare you, right? Somebody else? Judy? Yep. Hurt feelings, that's one of the things that I, I had on my list. Somebody else? Justin? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, certainly, if it's done in the wrong spirit, it could be unloving. But even when it's done in the right spirit, sometimes it's looked at as uh, unloving. Somebody else? Wendy? <laughs> yeah, we don't want to admit that we have, have things to learn. Who are you to tell me what to do? Uh, another thing that came into my mind this week is that, and I, I don't mean this in a critical way at all, but doubting our beliefs has become somewhat of a movement in and of itself. Has anybody else seen that? Like, it's, it's almost a cool thing to do. So I don't really know if that's true or not. It doesn't really matter. Folks, there are things in the Bible that matter if we believe they're true or not. There are things that, that if you don't believe them as truth, then you are not a believer, right? Like it, it goes that far. And so there's all these reasons as to why corrective preaching or teaching is, is not carried out in modern churches the way that it should be. Uh, but I'm thankful for men like Peter because they remind those in the position of preaching and teaching how to minister to God's people. And sometimes it's it can be a scary thing. Bruce could attest to this, right? If you're, if you're preaching the truth or talking to somebody about the truth and they don't want to receive it, my fear is I'm always going to, uh, that I'm going to hurt somebody. I don't ever want to hurt somebody. If the word of God does a work that hurts them, then that could be the chastening of the Lord that we see in Hebrews, right? That, that's a, a good work that God does. I don't want to be the one that hurts but God's word sometimes does hurt. And I think we could all attest to that in our own lives, that sometimes 
the word of God is that double-edged sword. Uh, and that's what Peter was using here. He was speaking to them in loving terms. We've seen that he calls them beloved brethren several times in this letter. But he was also speaking to them in sharp terms. Hey, you need to remember the truth. You, you need to remember the things that we've told you. Because if you forget these things, you're going to wander away from where God wants you to be. In verse number 11, it seems that Peter is dialoguing with them almost, but in reality, the question posed is much more of a rhetorical question, and that's seen especially in the original language. And as Peter spoke this question, the people knew what he was getting at. When he says, what manner of persons ought you to be, Peter wasn't looking for a response from them. Why? Because they knew the response inside their hearts. They didn't need to have a conversation about this because Peter and the hearers or the readers all knew what God expected of them. And so in some sense, Peter was reminding them of the life that they were called to live in comparison to the lives of the false teachers and the scoffers. The false teachers were saying, hey, live however you want. You haven't been given the whole truth, but we have the rest of the story. The scoffers were saying, hey, it doesn't matter. The, the judgment isn't coming. Things have continued as they always have been. So you live however you want. You do what feels right to you. But Peter says, no, you know, you know, if you're a child of God, you know what manner of person you ought to be. And I would say that as that was true then, it's true for us as well. We know what type of people we're supposed to be in this world. But how many of us will readily admit that at times we are not that people? But what convicts us? The Spirit and the Word. The Spirit that we talked about this morning that God gives us in that moment of salvation. As we looked a couple Wednesday nights ago, He's given to reprove of sin, to convict us of unrighteousness in our lives. And that convicting work of the Spirit is something that we should rejoice in. And God was using Peter here to encourage these believers to go back to what they knew. So in some sense, he's calling them to, to look at their lives and see how they're living in comparison or how they're supposed to live in comparison with the false teachers. In some sense, Peter's calling them to do some in, internal investigation into their own lives. Now, we like to do internal investigations where? In everybody else's lives. Oh, I know what their heart was, the position of their heart. I, I know what they were thinking. I know what their motive was. But Peter's saying you need to look inside yourself. In some way, Peter was calling them to do what Paul called the believers to do in 2 Corinthians when he told the church to examine themselves and see whether or not they're in the faith, to see if they were indeed true believers. He had already charged them to take seriously their Christian life in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he spent much time talking to them about the error-filled ways of the false teachers. And now in chapter 3, he spent much time reminding them of what they have been taught and encouraging them to press on. And if it was needed in Peter's day, do you think it's needed today? It certainly is. We don't come to church, we don't come to the Word of God in our private devotion time just to be told how good we're doing, right? It'd be nice if that's all we heard, but the, the Word of God is corrective, and it's meant to be corrective so that we could walk in the way that God has called us to walk. And so we're going to look at verses 11 through 13 and see what Peter's encouragement was to them. In verse 10, he said, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and its works that are therein shall be burned up. And so the title of the study tonight is, So What? If all this is true, what does that mean for us? Peter says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? 
in all holy conversation and godliness. Seeing then, seeing then that all these things shall be destroyed. Peter's taking them back to what he had just talked about in verse 10 uh, to remind them of something important. Uh, These things that they knew, these things that they loved, the world as they knew it, Peter says, one day these things are all going to be destroyed. And so the question that Peter is posing to them in some sense is, what should we live for? Should we live for the message of the false teachers? Should we live after the teaching of the scoffers? Or should we live after the teachings of Jesus Christ? You decide which, which is the path that we should take. It's not the path of least resistance that we're supposed to be on, right? It's the path that is most purifying that we're supposed to be on, that's most sanctifying. And so Peter's calling them to take a, an evaluation of their lives. And he says, think for a moment that all these things are going to be destroyed. And if that's true, if it's true, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation or lifestyle and godliness? What's your answer? If all these things are going to be destroyed, how should we live? (laughs) What did you say? Like today's your last day. As I said this morning, do any of us know the day we're going to die? We don't. We don't like to talk like this, but we, we could die on the way home. We could. And if that was the case, how would we feel about the last day we spent on earth? I'm not going to lie. I'd be feeling pretty good because typically on Sunday afternoons, it's a little rough, but Brianna and the kids were all gone and I was home alone. So like, I'm, I'm ready right now. Like this would be a good day. I didn't have any frustrations in the afternoon. Um, but how should we live? We should live, uh, as Peter says, taking concern over our lifestyle, taking concern that we're living a godly life believing that that this could be the last day that we're on this earth, Peter's getting at this idea that we need to live with a seriousness, that we need to live with great intentionality, that we need to live with a dedicated focus, that we need to live with a perseverance, that we need to live uh, with a mindset that is fixated on uh, the person of Jesus Christ. It goes back to what we saw in Colossians 3 today. How do we live? Well, we live what the Bible says. If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of of the Father. We we live a lifestyle that that models what Christ has told us. I was thinking through the Ten Commandments again this week, and uh, it's interesting, and it's no coincidence that the first commandment, that we're to have no other God before the one true God, and the tenth commandment of do not covet, they bookend the rest of the commandments. What is it that so often comes into our lives to act as little gods? The things that we set our hearts' attention on. And so God says, remember, there are no other gods before me. And then he goes through the list of the other eight commandments, and he gets to the tenth one, and he said, if you still have any doubts in your mind, remember, do not coveting. Because do not covet. Why? Because coveting is idolatrous. And what is idolatry? It's making a god of something that is not God. That's the life that we're called to live. This, this is the people that we are called to be. And it's, it's not harsh of Peter to say this. It's a good thing that Peter says this. Why? Because he's reminding us that everything else is going to be destroyed. And so if you make a, a little a trinket or a hobby or a profession or a, a finances, if you make those your gods, what does Peter say? They're worthless gods. 
because one day they're going to be destroyed. And, and if what Peter is writing is true, if what these believers had been taught is true, then we should daily take an inventory of our lives to see what type of person we are in comparison to the Word of God. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul says, I, beseech, or, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are wherewith called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you, you are called, that you walk worthy of the life that God has given you. If we are Christians, then it does matter how we live. And as, as we say so often, the message of, of much of modern-day Christianity is, is, is it doesn't really matter. If you're a believer, then it's okay. You can live however you want. But that's never been the message of Jesus, and it's never been the message of the Bible. We think all the way back to the Old Testament when, when God freed his people from the bondage that they were in, what did God give them? He gave them a way to walk in this new relationship with him. What do we know it as? The Ten Commandments. As we think to the New Testament and the freedom that we have in Christ, what has God given us in his word over and over again? An outline of how our lives are supposed to look in this world. And so it does matter. Peter says, understanding that all these things are going to be destroyed what type of people should we be? What type of lifestyle should we live? And what type of godliness should come out of us to uh, the world around us? What are your thoughts on verse 11? Or anything else you want to talk about for that matter? <laughs> Dave. Yeah, definitely. Somebody else? Jessica. Speak loud.
Yeah. It does. Yeah. It definitely is. Definitely is. Somebody else tonight? Bruce? I think that the idea that today could be the day is kind of what driven our finances Mm. forever. We're not going to keep a million dollars in the bank. Right. Because if the Lord comes tomorrow, we want to lay up treasure in heaven. Definitely. Absolutely. Survive yeah. After everything burns up. Yep. And you can go back to First Corinthians when it talks about our works being tempted by fire. Yeah. So we're going to burn up, and they're good things. Right. Building materials, but they're they're just things. Yeah. Absolutely. So good thought. It's just beautiful how the spirit built the book. Yeah. Absolutely. It all connects together. Um, I was dropping the kids off at school, and on. Tuesday, I think it was, and we pulled around the back of the school to drop the younger kids off, and I said, hey guys, just remember today who you represent. They're like, what does that mean? What, what are you talking about, Dad? I said, first off, you're a frost, and to me, the name frost is a big deal, right? Um, I want to honor my, my parents, and I want to honor my grandparents and the lives that they lived and the love they had for Christ, but I said, in a bigger way, you represent Christ. In a school that that doesn't want much to do with Christ. You represent Christ. And so the way that you act, the way that you treat other people, the attitudes that you have, just remember who you represent today. And I think that's what Peter's calling us to. How should we live? Well, we live by remembering who we represent. If we're Christians, if we're little Christ in this world full of sin, then we have a job to do. And part of that job is done just in the way that we handle ourselves in this world. Um, the, the idea of Sometimes the gospel is preached through our actions. I believe that's true. Like people sometimes will, will listen to us based on how we live. It's not, that's not the only thing they should see, how we live. But if they're going to listen to the words we say, they should see some consistency in our lives as well. And that's what Peter's calling to. We're going to jump on to verse 12. I was going to go to Hebrews 11. I would encourage you, if you take notes, uh, Hebrews 11, 1 through 16, and just read through that section of Scripture and just... Uh, see how those people lived. And I love, I think it's verse 16 that talks about that they were waiting for a better country. They knew that this wasn't their only, their only hope, that, that there was something greater beyond this world. And that's what Peter's calling them to remember. In verse number 12, he goes on and says, looking forward, hastening unto the coming of the day 
of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. This is a, a continued sentence, and this really is, is a, a continuing thought from his question of what people uh, ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness as we look to the hastening unto the coming day of the Lord uh, or of God, wherein the heavens are on fire and everything's going to dissolve and everything's going to melt with a fervent heat. And so the emphasis, as I read through this, is not necessarily on the end of the verse, but it's, it's on the, the beginning of the verse. Peter's saying that in light of the reality that all these things are going to be burnt up, he's still talking about how we should live in this life. And he says that we should look for and hasting unto the coming day of the Lord. And so you want to know what type of people we should be. We should live in, in a, holy life, a holy lifestyle. We should live after godliness. And we should live as people who are looking for and hasting unto the day of the Lord. I can remember a kid as being a kid and uh, you know, riding in the car and you see uh, the, the sun shining through the clouds and the clouds have a silver lining and you think, oh man, this is it, right? Jesus is coming back today and then it doesn't happen. Uh, shouldn't there be some of that anticipation in us even today that we, we don't know when he's coming back, but we should be looking for that day. And when you look for something, what are you? Typically excited about it when it's a good thing. Um, I know when our kids get up for Christmas, we never put the presents out early. Uh, they're always put out Christmas Eve. Anybody else? Who puts their Christmas presents out like all throughout December? Anybody? You guys are my people then. We, we always wait, right? We always wait. It had to be a surprise. Uh, I think my parents did it only because they knew they had at least two boys that probably would have unwrapped every present and seen what was inside. Uh, but there's an anticipation, right? Uh, leading up to Christmas, we know that something is coming. We know that something good is going to appear. Uh, there was one Christmas, we got our first computer. Windows, it had Windows 98. It was a gateway computer. Amazing dinosaur of a computer. And we knew that we were getting something good that year, but we could not figure it out. And then one night, um, my dad's friend who was into computers came up to the house and they were doing some stuff outside, and my brother and I were like, ah, oh, we know, something's going on here. And so after that guy left, we made an excuse to have to go down to my grandparents' house, and uh, we searched high and low in the garage. Finally, we found it in the back of my dad's truck. There it was, and we ruined the biggest Christmas present we got that year. But it was worth it, right? We didn't have to wait in, in suspense or anticipation. We saw the good thing that was coming. Do you know the truth of God's word is? He's revealed to us what's coming, He's not hiding it from us. He's not saying that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it from you. You just live how I want you to live, and then I'm going to give you something good in the end. No, he said, I'm going to give you something good, and this is what it is. I'm going to give you a home with me for all of eternity. Christ is going to come back and, and claim you for himself, and that is the best gift you could ever get. And so Peter says, if that's true, then we need to look for that day. Looking for that day carries the idea of being excited over it, thinking about it, dwelling on it, working towards it. The idea of hasting unto that day, it really only strengthens. That's not a word that we use, but it's talking about the excitement aspect of it, that, that it's almost like we're trying to usher that day in, even though there's nothing we can do to usher it in. We're just so overjoyed with the thought of Christ's return that that's what's on our hearts and minds each and every day. And so these guys were, were being antagonized by the scoffers, right? Nothing's going to change. 
Things are going to continue as they always have been. You don't have to worry about judgment. They were thinking about the message of the false teachers that they had missed out on some of the truth that, that they, they should have gotten, but they never got it. And, and the, the false teachers and the scoffers together were causing these believers to have doubts. And Peter reminds them, you have the truth. And so look to the truth. Let the truth guide you. Look for the day of the Lord. Rejoice in the day of the Lord and live a holy lifestyle until uh, Jesus Christ returns. When is that going to be? We don't know. And so what do we do? We look for the day of the Lord. We look for the day of God. What is it going to look like? We know in part, but we don't know in, in fullness. Paul says that we still see through a glass dimly, right? We don't know all of the events that are going to unfold and how they're going to unfold, but we do know this, that a day is coming when we will be reunited with Jesus and what a day that will be. Should that change how we live? It absolutely should. But my question tonight is why doesn't it? And I don't, I don't think it's a question that we need to have a conversation about because I think it's a personal question that we have to look internally over. Why doesn't that shape the way that I live my life every day? Why doesn't that shape the way that I view other people? Why doesn't it shape the way that I, I view my own finances? Why doesn't it shape the way that I, I think of the gift of the church family that God has given us? If these things are true, then it should impact every day of our lives. God hasn't called us to be Christians just on Sunday, right? <laughs> It's a day-in, day-out, moment-by-moment calling that he has placed in our lives, and it should impact how we live in this world. So Peter says, I want you to know in the end of, of verse 12 that when that day comes, the heavens are going to be on fire and, and shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. And again, I don't think the emphasis is on the end of the verse. I think it's on verse 11 in the beginning of verse 12, but Peter's saying... The way that you live matters because these things are true. Because these things are going to happen, you need to think about how you are living your life. I'm going to jump to verse 13, and then we'll talk through both of these together if, if uh, we have time. In verse 13, he says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Peter's language in the end of verse 12, in verse number 10, pretty graphic language, right? The, the things that he's describing that will take place, even though he's not giving a specific timeline, uh, Peter's speaking about them as truth. It's graphic language. And, and maybe Peter was concerned that they were going to focus merely on the events instead of what the events were supposed to affect in them. So if, if we spend our time just thinking about this idea that the earth is going to be dissolved and the heavens are going to be on fire and all this stuff, we could almost live with an element of fear inside of us like we don't want that day to come. But Peter says, no, no, you need to look for that day because when he comes and all those things happen, guess what's going to come as well? A new heaven and a new earth. And what's going to be in that new heaven and new earth? Well, that's going to be where true righteousness dwells. You ever get burdened by the, the, the situations you see in our world? Like the needless killing. The song that, that Ethan and Heidi sang this morning that talked about all the things that are taking place in our world. It's burdensome. You know what that is? The whole earth is groaning for the day of redemption. Groaning. People are living in unrighteousness in part because that's all they know how to live in. They're doing what their father, the devil, is leading them to do. They're walking in darkness because their eyes haven't been opened by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and as burdensome as the world can be at times, 
the truth is it's only going to get worse. And the end of these people, unless they believe the gospel, is going to be worse than anything we could even imagine. And we can get even burdened down with that thought at times, thinking of the, the millions of people who will suffer in eternity in hell. Like that, that should burden our hearts in some way. But Peter says, even in the midst of all that, even in the midst of the, the chaos that's going to come in the future, even in the midst of the pain and turmoil, he says, if you're going to be of any use in this life, you have to think about what's to come for you. And when you dwell on what's to come for you, not in a selfish, prideful sense, but in a humble sense, realizing that you don't deserve any of it, what should that make you then do? Live the life that God has called you to live with all holiness, with all godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. And so Peter says, we, we look for the promise. We look for the new heaven and the new earth. We look for that time when righteousness will dwell in perfection. Peter says, that's the hope that we have. And so the scoffers were saying, hey, this is as good as it's going to get, and this is as bad as it's going to get, so just do whatever you want. And Peter says, no, this, this is nowhere near as bad as it's going to get. But also understand this truth. This is also near as good as it's going to get. There's something better waiting for you. And when you put those two things in your mind, it should translate to us who are believers, us who are God's children, us who are Christ's followers, to live in a way that, that shows the world that there is a God who loves them, that there's a God who sent his son for them, and his name is Jesus. We know we live in a corrupt world, and it's seen in everything from churches to governments to individuals. Corruption is everywhere, and it's abounding, and it will only get worse, worse, but we don't live in angst over it, and we don't live in fear because of it, and we don't live in denial of it, and we don't even really need to give it any grave concern. Why? Because we live for the hope that is to come. There's hope. There's hope. And if that's true, what manner of persons ought you to be to live a lifestyle of holiness and godliness and a life that looks for the coming of the day of God? I was going to turn to Matthew 6. We looked at this passage this morning, but I would mark it in your notes again if you take them. Matthew 6, 19 through 34. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 6, 33? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't fear. If God can feed the sparrows and he knows when they fall, how much more is he going to take care of you? And if God can clothe the lilies of the field that don't toil and they don't spin, yet they're more beautiful than Solomon when he was arrayed in all of his glory, don't you believe that God's also going to clothe you? And if that's true, if God is going to take care of the necessities, the basic necessities of life, then we should just simply seek his kingdom first. I was listening to a friend this afternoon, they're getting ready to uh, do some renovations at their church, and uh, he, he's a new pastor at that church, and he was just sharing with his church the heart that he has, um, and his heart was this, that if, if, we, if we put missions first, if we put evangelism first, if we put discipleship first, then God's going to take care of the needs of our church. And do you know that's the testimony that this church has had for many, many years? Many years. Since I've been here, things have been tight before, right, Delbert? They got tighter when I came on, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but you know what? There's never been a day where Bruce 
or anybody else has had to stand in the pulpit and beg for money. Why? Because when we seek to do things the way that God desires them to be done, God has promised to take care of our every need. And as that's true in a church world, I believe it's also true in our personal lives as well, that God will take care of our needs as we seek his kingdom first. And so Peter was encouraging these people to to prepare for the next life, and in preparing for the next life, it would cause them to seek righteousness in this life. We know that we already have the imputed righteousness of Christ as is seen in Romans 5, but the righteousness that Peter's talking about here is a practical righteousness where day in and day out we live the, the truth of the life of Christ as it comes out of us. And he's encouraging them, encouraging them to do just that, to remember that, that God will make good on his promises, that the world will be destroyed, but there's a new heaven and a new earth coming, and that in and of itself should spark within us a desire to live for him. Any thoughts on verses 12 and 13? It's 7 o'clock, so if you talk, it's up to you to go over. Judy. I just feel really sad for Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a devastating thing. And I, I think, again, I mentioned this last week, and I mentioned it this morning, Paul's heart in Romans 9 Annie and I had a conversation this, about this before church tonight. He says, I wish that myself were accursed, that my brethren could know the truth. They were resting in their religiousness. And Paul says, I wish that I could be accursed so that they could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What is that? That's a heart that has been transformed by the gospel. Paul's basically saying, I wish that I could die so that they could live. That's a heart that's transformed by the gospel. And we, we can't force people to get saved. We can't coax people to get saved. But he has, God has given us a call to preach the gospel to every creature, to make the truth of Jesus known, and then leave the results up to him. Somebody else tonight? Judy. Sure. He won't let you go, right? <laughs> that's a good sign. That's, that's what we like to feel in our lives. Even though we don't like it, it's, a, it's something to rejoice in. Um, anybody else? Justin. Absolutely, absolutely. Somebody else? So I'll leave you with a question. If all these things are true, what manner of people ought we to be as we go into a lost and dying world this week? We're to be a people of the light who share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for that's the only thing that can bring hope to the lost and dying world.